0: The Dice Giveth and the Dice Taketh Away, talking about Garden Dice with Doug Bass. Welcome to this episode of Game On Girl. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy.
1: And I'm your co-host,
0: Rhonda Oglesby. And today we're interviewing Doug Bass, the creator behind the board game Garden Dice. And he talks about what it was like to get a game started on Kickstarter, what it's like to publish his own game, to create the art, to test it out, and all the details that would go into making your own board game. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Today we have the honor of speaking with Doug Bass, the designer of the 2012 board game Garden Dice. It's a game that's easy to learn and play, but surprisingly layered and complex. It boasts a fascinating combination between strategy and luck, and I would say at first glance is very deceiving in terms of gameplay, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. As Sheldon Cooper might say, the dice giveth and the dice taketh away in this case the rabbit or the bird might be the culprits for taking away part but we can talk more about that later <laughs> Doug we're so thrilled to have you on the show today why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your gaming
2: history okay well thank you very much for having me on the show
0: glad to have you
1: very excited
2: well, yeah when you when you invited me to come on the show I was very honored to be uh, to be your guest so um, Thanks. Thank looking you. forward to the Looking forward to our conversation. I uh, grew up playing video games. I had a uh, Texas Instruments 994A computer, where all of my friends had Commodore 64s, but I got the Texas Instruments 994A and played the games that came with that. I played board games growing up uh, with my my family. Uh, we played games like Scrabble. I played chess with my dad. We played Trivial Pursuit when that came out. Um, I played games with my friends like uh, Stratego and Battleship and those kinds of things growing up. I didn't really know about modern board games until um, I was probably in my early 30s or mid-30s. Around 2005, a friend turned me on to Board Game Geek, and I was kind of astounded when I uh, saw all the, you know, different board games that were out there beyond just Monopoly and Scrabble, which had been my, um, exposure to that point. Um, uh, that's so kind did, of my. Did I, you take I, I a
1: hiatus uh, from, uh, any gaming that you said about in, in your 30s? You w- just rediscovered the board games. Uh, prior to that, were you doing any video gaming or any type of gaming at all?
2: I'm honestly not, uh, Real good with dates, but um, I played um, World of Warcraft when that first came out. I'm not sure what year that was. Oh, okay. Um, that was a little later, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: That was about 2005, 2006, I think, was one.
2: Okay. I played some of the original Xbox games. Um, one, one of my favorites was. Um, I think it was called Odd World Strangers Odyssey or something like that. So I played some Xbox games and I played some uh, Sega Genesis games, but um, really not not all that much. Sort of a little bit of dabbling in it here and there. Dabbling in it, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I when I was a kid, I frequented the arcade. I was in the arcade all the time. I didn't. Didn't play a lot of computer-based video games other than World of Warcraft.
1: So, would you say that you're drawn more to the board games now than the video games?
2: Yes, yes, I would. The video games, I like the tact, the tactile aspect of the board games and the meeting face-to-face mm-hmm. aspect of it. And uh, so that that is what I when I'm gaming, that's what I that's what I'm doing is playing playing board games with friends.
0: Yeah, we've, we've talked before, and Rhonda's mentioned how, how well, even, even multiplayer on console games is getting more and more obsolete in terms of being able to sit in you know, a room and game with somebody. Uh, and we both appreciate, I think, that... The, the camaraderie and the, the friendship that comes out of spending time actually like in room yeah. gaming with people.
2: Right. And I did find some of that camaraderie with um, playing World of Warcraft with a couple of really good friends. But there I looked at your gamer types and I was more of the in your categories, the self type gamer. Mm-hmm. And um, the two friends that I played with, I sort of would characterize them more as the mastery type. Video gamers and um, I just could not keep up with the hours of logging, <laughs> playing the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were level sixty and I was still level twenty, so yeah, um, that didn't work out too well.
0: Yeah, there, there's actually that's one of the things we're seeing as we sort of talk about the types. Where if we're going to have conflict between types, I think self and mastery is where a, a lot of conflict tends to come in because it's just it is a very different way to approach. game just itself yeah well
1: now when i first started coming to you're the you're you're the one responsible for getting me turned back on to board games um because i caught you and some guys at lunch one day at work playing
2: right and
1: and i had been i had already read an article in wired magazine about the creator of settlers of Catan, and then when i yeah and when and i was intrigued that there were this this new form of board gaming and then I saw you guys playing and um, the very first time I believe that we went to the gaming group there in the town where we live, um, I don't know if it was you or somebody else was telling me about how many board games you owned.
2: That I personally own? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I have, I think the last count I have 190. Okay. Wow. That's, that's what I but, thought. That's awesome. <laughs> I have not. I have not played all of those. Some of them. Uh, my goal this year is to uh, try to narrow down the the, uh, the number of unplayed games that I have because it's um, it's kind of a waste to, to have them and not play them. But I've played probably two thirds of those.
1: Would you Would you even be able to begin to to tell which were like your top three?
2: Oh, uh, I can tell you my top two are Power Grid's my number one.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I like auction games, so Power Grid's my number one, and my number two, um, I think, is Chicago Express. Oh. Um, which is another auction slash train game that I like a whole lot, and then I have a whole lot of number threes. <laughs>
0: It gets gets tied up at number three. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of the reason
1: why I like Stone Age.
2: Yeah, Stone Age would be there as one of the threes. I like that a lot. And that's actually kind of uh, got me thinking about doing a dice game myself, is playing Stone Age.
1: Oh, really? Well, I was going to ask you how Garden Dice came about. I mean, did... You know, like the game idea come to you first, or were you thinking, "Boy, I create my own game," and you toyed around with ideas? How did that? How did Garden Dice come about?
2: After I learned about modern board games, you know, and played a few of them, it's I started thinking about designing my own. And at first, I, you know, I did a a card-based game, a set collection card game, but then. Um, when I learned Stone Age and another dice game called Kingsburg I sort of got interested in dice so and I liked the way that Stone Age used dice in a in a very unusual way um, using them to roll the dice to collect the resources and I, I just liked the way that worked and I liked Kingsburg the way that you you roll the dice and use those to select you know to com- to control the actions that you can perform. Um, that got me thinking about creating a dice based game. And then really what really sparked it was when, um, the game Carson city came out in October, 2009, that was one of the big titles that came out at Essen in that year. And I wanted that game so badly. And, um, <laughs> I, my parents gave it to me for Christmas that year. I think they they may have ordered it from a overseas website to get it in time for Christmas. But the initial setup of the board in that game is rolling dice to place tiles at coordinates. You're you're rolling the dice to place mountain tiles and the center of Carson City on the board, and that got me thinking: why couldn't that be the basis for a game? Is uh, having a coordinate system and rolling dice to place tiles at the various coordinates. and then then I started thinking, well what other what other ways could you use dice in in a game? And I came up with the idea of using dice as currency, which is that gave rise to the idea of buying tiles with, you know based on your roll, which be- became the seed tiles. Mm-hmm. I just started thinking of more and more ways that I could use to make it so that when you roll the dice, you have lots of different options and difficult decisions about how you were going to use your dice.
0: Well, mm-hmm. you you succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Out of doubt, because I can't tell you the number we played. Um, we played a two-player game and then a four-player game over the past weekend. And Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times in both, you know, both games that I got to play where it was seriously the person's turn and they're just staring at the dice. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, I'm a very, I'm a very tactile person and a tactile thinker. And, you know, I constantly gesture when we're recording the podcast like I'm doing now, even though I know nobody's watching me. Um, (laughs) But I had to, you know, I was very tactile with the decision making process. Right. had to grab the dice and separate them out to think about the different coordinates that I had and the different places I could put things and actually kind of separate the dice out to... To make yeah. decision making process visual, but but it was right there because you have you know the dice that you're looking at and, and all that it was just all sort of packaged right there. So I really did right. think that that was a brilliant sort of use of the dice as very flexible and and doing like all different kinds of things. And really added a great amount of depth depth to it. Well, did yeah. did
2: you find yourself placing the dice on the tiles? you know, that you were going to yeah. use this die to buy that tile. And... Yep.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was actually like putting them because for, for, you know, for me to get the sort of spatial relations a little bit, I would put the dice at the coordinates where I could, you know, right. put them and then look at the other two that I had and what could I buy and what did I have sort of in reserve and, you know, what were my options with what I had for everything. And, right. and it was really, it was really handy to have that as the, uh, you know, to to help with the decision-making process.
1: It was very, it was very surprising. Um, unfortunately, I know that you, Um, tested the game some there at the gaming group, and we never got a chance to to play with you, to play the game. But uh, the very first time that we played with our friends, it was a pretty easy game to explain. I mean, the purchasing system with the dice took a little bit to remember, but still, it compared to some of the games, the modern games that are out, it was... Pretty easy to explain. So we play through one game, and then I'm sitting there and I'm like, "Oh my God, that there, there is so much <laughs> going on here." Yeah, I mean, it's the depth of the the amount of strategy, but, but at the same time, you can sit down and play that thing with your whole family. I'm just I'm just very impressed with the way that all those layers are in there uh, without completely blocking out. Part of a demographic I might sit down and play with it did that kind of thing come out with the uh, test play that you did
2: well yes I um, a lot of my play testing was done with my wife Heidi who's not um, a real big gamer she's she likes card games she's not really into the board games um, but she likes garden dice Played with my family. They they liked the game. Um, my mom logged a lot of hours playing that game with me. <laughs> but then I'd play with my gamer friends, you know, who are more, more serious into the board games. And I, w- you know, would notice them spending a lot of time trying to make decisions about how they're going to use their dice. And I felt like I had something good when, you know, I, I enjoyed I enjoy that aspect of gaming where uh, you've got some tough decisions and you, you know, you have to kind of weigh your options and do what you, you know, eventually come to a decision about what you think is going to be the best option.
1: Was it a difficult process to get the game published?
2: I thought about this and I think the hardest part of the whole process was the design process because I spent... I first came up with the idea for the game in 2009 and didn't really start getting to the point where I was getting ready to, to contact someone about doing the artwork until, like, the fall of 2011. So the game went through many iterations and many rules tweaks, and I found that part of it difficult. But once the design was complete, I didn't really know where to begin with getting it published, I knew that I wanted to do it myself. Oh, Um,
1: so you knew that from the
2: beginning. Right. Oh, Um, okay. I, I knew that because I had done some research and it seemed like submitting it to game companies, you um, have to wait a long time to hear back. And, you know, you're, um, only should only be submitting the game to one publisher at a time. So if, the oh, first wow. publisher is not interested. Then you have to, you know, start over with an, another publisher. And I also wanted to re- retain complete creative control over the game.
0: That was going to be my question about yeah. that process. If that, if that was one reason why you wanted to make sure you published it yourself, was you, you know, maintained the control? Because I imagine you hand it over to a big name publisher, and they're gonna, they're gonna want to put right. sort of their stamp, or you know, the way that they market or, you know, the way they do games, they would want to do it in their style or something like that. Right, mm-hmm. right.
2: They might change the theme or right. change, you know, change the rules mm-hmm. or they would have gotten to pick the art as opposed to me. Um, so
1: when you were talking about the difficulty of, um, the difficult part was the design. Are you talking about the art?
2: No, the design, the rules. The oh, rules okay. And art. The, the actual gameplay. Yeah, but when it came to actually getting it published, I did a little bit of research, but I'm at heart basically a seat-of-the-pants type of person, and I um, felt guided by my intuition the, the, the whole way. Um, I like figuring stuff out as I go along. So, uh, and modifying and adapting as you do. Right, yeah. right. If, if I had tried to figure out everything ahead of time, I think I would have found that paralyzing.
0: Yeah, I I um, I um feel you. <laughs> I'm very much the seat of the pants kind of person. And I think when I look at, you know, the dissertation and sort of the long projects I've done in my life, even the podcast, Rhonda will attest. I'm very much a do it on the fly. She's very much the planner. So we balance oh, yeah. each other out that way very nicely. yeah. yeah. <laughs> You used Kickstarter then?
2: I did. I um, I used my Kickstarter campaign was in April, roughly April timeframe of 2012, so almost a year ago now. And um, I found out about Kickstarter from, I don't know who turned me on to Kickstarter, but I supported a couple of games, early Kickstarter games. Road to Canterbury was one, and Dark Horse was another, but... I hadn't initially planned on using Kickstarter, but I'm glad I did because the whole thing cost a lot more than I realized it would. Oh, yeah. It was good to have that support. Um, Plus, it was having the supporters kind of uh, cheering you on and pulling for you really helped from um, a psychological standpoint to make me think, you know, hey, maybe I do have something Good here, and um, I do want to, you know, realize this goal or this dream of getting a game published. So, um, Kickstarter was did come along um, at the right time. Well,
0: that's fantastic. And well, and a nice, a nice, I I love when stories have community elements, and when you get that support that sort of boosts you along. That's that's a really nice sort of sense of the best of what I, I. constantly argue gaming has to offer (laughs) bringing people together
2: yeah i mean the kickstarter is almost like there's a whole community of of people that you know they have a they have a shared goal with with the people who are starting the projects Um, everybody wants to see it succeed so um, and everybody in, in my experience with using kickstarter everybody was just Super friendly, super understanding when there were, you know, delays or um, just very um, supportive. I mean, I guess that's why they call them supporters.
1: <laughs> so, now, did you have to figure out who was going to manufacture the board game and all of that kind of stuff before you got onto Kickstarter?
2: I did. I, okay. um, I talked to two different manufacturers. And ended up going with one called Panda. I contacted them around the same time frame that I contacted the artist. So that would have been fall 2011. Wow. Was it 2011 or 2004? (laughs) Yeah, it was 2011. Gosh, it's been a long time. (laughs) They were very patient and very helpful and kind of helped me understand the whole process and um, helped me get the quotes. But um, that was nice. Yeah. I had yeah, I had talked to them for about 6 months before doing the Kickstarter. Now, but, how
1: did you find the artist?
2: Oh, well, um the artist is Josh Cappel and he's done a lot of different board games, but the reason I decided to approach him was because I had attended um Gen Con in August 2011 for the first time. He had done the artwork for a game that came out at Gen Con called Belfort. Um, I just really liked the art for that game. I thought he did a really outstanding job. So I found him on Board Game Geek and sent him a geek mail and asked him if he'd be interested. And he wanted to play the game first, but um, after he did, he liked it and said he would do the artwork. So Oh, cool. He's been um, really great to work with he's um really talented i i'm probably a little bit biased but i think the artwork he did for garden dice is some of his best uh work that he's done
0: well it is it is outstanding i i love the board i love the seed packets i love even the bunny and the bird who are the bane of my existence when we play that game but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i had one friend we played with who um he ate a lot of my seeds. So (laughs) (laughs)
2: that
0: wasn't all that exciting.
2: Was that that a two player game?
0: No, it was the four player game.
2: Oh, somebody was coming after you in a four player game. Yeah,
0: from the I think it was his second turn. Um, He put his his bird out. And I was like, whoa. And And I was talking to his his wife. And I turned around. And the next thing I know, my I'm like, what I know I had, and then they were smiling at me. <laughs> I <was> like,
2: ah. <laughs> yeah, I think Josh did a really good job with the art for the the bird and the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Makes look kind of guilty and, <laughs> and furtive and.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had a whole conversation about the the look on the face of the rabbit. <laughs>
2: yeah, it looks a little crazy.
0: A little crazed, a little a little extra hungry, or a little a uh, little lecherous, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question, actually, and, and this may be just a correlation and not necessarily causation, but as I was looking at the board, I noticed that on the number tiles on the outside of the board, there's a ladybug on 8, 17, and 77. And so I had to ask if there was any meaning to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, there, there is a meaning to that. It's uh, a little uh, Easter egg that Josh put in there he, uh, he, someone uh, that he knows, that is the person's birth date.
0: Okay. I wondered. I was like, that's, oh. that's a date. I mean, you know, that's a date. Yeah. And uh, and so as I was looking at that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So good I mean, for you, Regina. Well, everybody else was telling me I was crazy. They're like, oh, it's just ladybugs, it's just decorations. So I'm like, I don't know about this because they're not. There's not four of them. There's four sides of the board. There's not four of them. You know, it doesn't have like, and there wasn't a consistent, you know, other sort of um, decorations on any of the other rocks. So I was like,
2: oh, you missed one. There, then.
0: there was there was something. What was it? Was it a? Dec- uh, uh, oh God. Um, wait, I did see it. It was a grasshopper
2: there's a grasshopper on the tile number on uh, stone number
0: 42 for for the meaning of life and the universe and yeah, everything
2: yes yep ah, and and also because uh you know grasshoppers are good luck so i put i had him put that on that right. on that stone
0: i see nice. yeah, i did see that one too See, I, and they were telling me i was just making things up ha, ha, <laughs> I, I was right i was right <laughs>
2: <laughs> you were Well,
1: I just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Game on Girl, and we are talking to game designer Doug Bass, the designer of Garden Dice. And we're actually going to um, deviate just a little bit and kind of ask you some of our uh, typical Game on Girl questions. And one of the hardest ones is how would you define a gamer?
2: Well, I would define a gamer as someone who... Enjoys, uh, I, and I'm defining this from the perspective of, of a board gamer, um, someone who enjoys uh, solving puzzles and doing it with other people, so that you have there's a kind of an element of the unknown. Of, as you're all trying to work out work out the puzzle, you're 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 interacting with each other and. Kind of changing, changing things as mm. you go along.
0: So it's the the interaction that impacts sort of the problem solving and everything else that goes along with the game.
2: Right. It's 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 a goal that you're all trying to achieve with the you know the goal being to to win the game. But mm-hmm. you're all kind of have the same shared goal and you're all um, doing it together. Even though there's uh, well not all games, but a lot of games there's only one champion right um it's that shared shared experience of working towards a goal uh and it's a it's a manufactured goal a lot of times in in board games it's you know achieving a certain number of victory points or the problems like in stone age they're they're not real world problems yeah, there, right. Uh, there are problems that are that you impose that the game imposes upon you to solve. So a gamer is somebody who likes likes that sort of thing. So
0: so in the in terms of board games then, and if if you have, you know, a, such a varied collection, do, do you have a preference for competitive games where you have like one person and everybody's sort of on their own agenda and, you know, solving similar problems, but you know, in their own gameplay? Or, or do you prefer collaborative ba- games like Pandemic or Forbidden Island where everybody's sort of working together for an end goal?
2: I like both. I like the competitive games probably better. but um, And I used to shy away from uh, cooperative games. Um, but now I really like cooperative games. And the three that I really like are the one you just mentioned, Pandemic, I like Ghost Stories and Yggdrasil. I don't know if you're familiar with that game. No, I don't know that one. Uh-uh. But that's that's a um, cooperative game that's based in the uh, Vi- it's a Viking-themed cooperative game that is similar in some ways to Ghost Stories and similar in some ways to Pandemic, where you've got a, a deck of cards that represent what you're working together to try to defeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a viking themed game where you're fighting off the enemies of asgard and it's i really encourage you to look at it it's really really good game
0: Excellent. What's the name again? I want to write it down.
2: It's Yggdrasil, e. Y-G-G-D-R-A-S-I-L.
0: I never would have guessed that. No, me neither. I was started with I e. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Since the English person, the the woman with words did, could not get that, <laughs> I don't feel bad.
2: <laughs> well, you shouldn't feel bad. I, I don't really know that much about Viking... Uh, mythology but the the game itself is just really well done and I it's better with uh, fewer players than more players it gets uh, the more players you add the more difficult it becomes mm. um, so four is I, probably optimal
1: and I, I, I tend to I tend to like cooperative games a lot better but uh-huh. I know that I, I also notice though that it depends on who I'm playing with
0: who you're cooperating with <laughs> Well, if, if they happen to be a
1: bunch of mastery players, I I just it's not any fun cooperatively. I mean, uh, competitively sometimes. Um, oh, because and,
0: they're they're working too hard at winning.
1: Um. Well, you know what? What the the games that tend to uh, be worse in that situation are things like. Um, Mansions of Madness or um, Earth Reborn, where it's sort of like a DM situation. Mm-hmm. That's when that's when the mastery is 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 really tough, um, and I I don't know. I just enjoy the idea of everybody winning or everybody losing.
2: <laughs> right. And I I I agree with you, Rhonda. I haven't I actually haven't played too many of the games where there's um, a DM versus the rest oh, of the players. Yeah. I have played Descent, which is one um, along those lines. I don't know if you've played that.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: But I haven't played Mansions of Madness. I've played uh, Arkham Horror, which is more of a cooperative with everybody working together. Yeah,
1: yeah, I so, love that game.
2: Yeah, that's, a good, that's another good one, too.
1: So but, you mentioned earlier that you identified with um, a self-player, when you're playing with other people in a group, now that you kind of know what our definition of the types are, do you do you kind of see those types now in the people that that are around the table?
2: It, I think it's it, to me it sort of depends on the style of game that you're playing. If I'm playing a uh, like a dungeon crawler dice rolling game, like um, I've played a game called Runebound and I've played um, Uh, Arkham Horror, those type of games, um, I see more of the role-play aspect come in, or the self aspect, but with the um, more competitive games, I I seem to see more of the mastery players coming, you know, that that aspect of play coming uh, more to the forefront.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense too, because I think mastery players tend to be attracted more to games like that. Yeah.
2: To the competitive style,
0: yes. To to you know deck building or um, games where they can really kind of come in and and demonstrate their mastery. Even uh, miniatures games like um, Warhammer, or War Machine, those games as well. They yeah. they tend more toward those because you really have to learn and understand the mechanics of the game to really right. be able to do
2: well. Right, right. And the the uh, Warhammer is a game that interests me, but I. The rule book is just so yeah. long.
0: Those games are there. There is a serious commitment with learning those games. I've, I've tried yes. my hand at War Machine and and have friends who play War Machine. Actually, Mark, who's the writer for our site and a good gaming friend of mine, is a is a big War Machine player. And um, you know, I I'm fascinated by them. But wow, the the commitment to learning <laughs> makes me really appreciate Garden Dice.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, me and my girlfriend just want to paint the figures. That's yeah. all we want to
0: do. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah. That's I'm definitely the that. fun part. <laughs> and that's yeah. where you see a little bit more of the self come out too. Like like the gamers who take more time to to um to to paint their miniatures and really do a really good job and decorate them as opposed to those who just kind of slap color on them to just have them out there.
2: I so see. Yeah, I would yeah. fit more into the self category with that. I w- I want my I would want the miniatures to look really good, and it, to, for for miniatures games, it'd be more important to me the visual aspect mm-hmm. of the game mm. than even the the role play aspect of it than the mastery aspect. I played um, a sk- miniature skirmish level game called Mordheim at Gen Con this past year, and I really I while I didn't get to paint the miniatures, I really could appreciate. Um, the work that that the people who put on the game had had uh, put into it, and the scenery that they had created, and it was was pretty amazing experience.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's serious business for those games.
2: Then yeah, they, it's a time it's a time commitment. Yeah, for yeah sure. definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, do you have any other games
1: in the works right now? Are you hoping? Have you got some more ideas in um,
2: in the works? I I have. Um one game that I started working on before garden dice that I'm hoping that I could publish it right now. It's uh, it's the set collection game that I was telling you about earlier. Oh that, yeah. That is um, that I'm working on, but right now the, the game is too long for what it is. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to, for what it is, I don't think people are going to want to sit down and p- play this particular game for two hours. So I'm, I'm working on it right now.
1: You sound like a tinkerer.
2: <laughs> yes, I am and 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 that was that was one of the biggest challenges with Garden Dice was just deciding that I had tinkered enough with it and that I I needed that if my goal was to get it published that I needed to stop tinkering <laughs> and and get it published.
1: Yeah. So how is it how's Garden Dice doing?
2: Um, it's doing really well. I'm I'm very happy with how well it's it's doing. I um sold I've sold about a thousand copies so far. Oh wow. And that's just since November came out on November fifth. So I'm sales are doing really well and the average rating on Board Game Geek is hovering around seven. So awesome. that, that makes me feel really good. Yeah,
0: that's great. That's a great
2: yeah. And, um, uh, most, almost all reviews have been positive and I've gotten people sending me emails saying how much they love the game or, um, posting things on board game geek about how much they love it. So it's, it's, I'd say it's doing pretty well.
0: You got a really nice write-up I saw on uh, Facebook. Um, uh, I can't remember who the source was that had written the review, but I saw that you had a really, a really great review. I was reading over.
2: Oh, you'll have to forward that to me. I haven't yeah. seen that.
0: Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can track down where it was. That's my problem with the internet is that I see so many things in so many different places. Getting back to right. it, it's a little uh, difficult sometimes. <laughs>
2: Well, I can look for it, too.
0: Yeah. Any, any plans for
1: expansions for Garden Dice?
2: Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. I'm working <gasps> on one right now. Cool. It's a card expansion where um, I'm introducing some cards into the game um, that change, change the gameplay just a little bit. Uh, you'll have three cards that you'll be dealt, and on your turn, you'll be able to play one card each turn.
1: Oh, yeah, I see.
2: And the cards are things that, like, uh, there's a tomato surprise card. If you play it, then all the tomatoes on the board get watered.
0: <gasps> oh.
2: Um, <laughs> there's a Eggplant Delight that um, lets you water or harvest one of your eggplant tiles for free. Nice. Uh, there's some some uh, cards that do interaction with other players. One's called Switcheroo. That basically lets you, you know, the, the little markers that go on the tiles, lets you you swap ownership markers with <laughs> the
0: That's going to be dangerous with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, when
1: you were talking earlier about uh, the difficulty of designing the game, and now that you're mentioning the, the card expansion, the um, there was a panel I went to in Dragon Con that was about designing games. And the guys up there basically said, look, this is not necessarily a glamorous thing he said we spend a whole lot of our time with spreadsheets he said a lot of this has to do with statistics and math and and figuring out the odds is that kind of what what that process was like or is that just sort of the 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 lucky side effect of your tinkering
2: i wouldn't say i was heavy into spreadsheets but i did do a fair amount of um analysis of you know the the probability of rolling at least one six on four dice okay um, which is 52 percent or the probability of rolling triples or doubles Um, okay so i did a lot of that i haven't done as much of that with the cards a lot of it's for me is intuition more so than um number crunching
0: that makes sense. Especially, as you said, you tend to fly by the seat of your pants, then you're sort yeah. of just going on, you know, what works, and then you throw it in and see and test it out and see how, yeah, how it actions. Yeah,
2: trial and error.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we'll look forward to that expansion. That sounds like it will add a another level level of depth and engagement to the game, which is uh, even more I fun. It,
2: I think it will. It It's um, it should be out around the April time frame. Um, oh wow
0: so, so
1: soon oh yeah. that's cool
2: yeah we're getting close um there are going to be a total of it's going to be a 54 card deck josh has five more cards to do so wow getting, getting very close
0: fantastic
2: i'm looking forward to that coming out
1: well we'll definitely have all of the links and everything on our website we want to be sure and mention that um Garden Dice is Doug's very first published game, and it is offered by Maraday Games at MaradayGames.com, and it's also on Amazon still, right?
2: It's yeah, I believe so. Um, I would that was a. There's been various kind of milestones along the way that stick out in my mind, and seeing it pop up on Amazon was <laughs> one of those. Mi- one of those milestones for me because I didn't put it on Amazon because I, I specifically didn't want to compete with, with the retailers um, who are, you know, making their living selling games. So um, I figured eventually one of them would put the game up on Amazon and, I uh, when the day when that day came, I felt a real sense of accomplishment and made me feel proud that I had come that far to actually get on Amazon.
0: Yeah, I, I actually one of the interviews uh, with one of the actors in the guild said the same thing about being in Netflix. Like,
2: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> when we were on Netflix, instant I knew. You know, my mom called me and she's like, "You're on Netflix. I can watch you on <laughs> Netflix." You know, it's the same yeah. kind of mile marker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and i've I've had people email me and say that you know how they get the amazon recommends mm-hmm. emails. But they got Garden Dice as a recommendation in their ah. Amazon recommend email. So. Nice.
0: Well, maybe we'll have to send emails to um to Tabletop and Geek and Sundry and see if yeah put it up on uh the if they're I still don't know I don't I don't think they've confirmed they're doing another season of Tabletop but if they are we'll definitely have to put a recommendation in for, for Garden Oh uh, well, thank Dice. you. Because that would be awesome. I would love to see them play that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that would. <laughs> be. I think it
0: would be a gr- I think it would be a really good game mm-hmm. for um. For
1: recording, mm-hmm. you know, live and teaching people to do it. I think it's just perfect for
0: that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They've done harder games. Uh yeah. That haven't come across particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Doug, for joining us. I really enjoyed having you on the show today. This is fantastic. Oh,
2: well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun talking with you
0: yeah it's I was looking forward to hearing
1: about the uh, the game process and getting getting it published, and I was really pleased to hear Kickstarter went well
0: yeah
2: yeah, it really did like you you guys were saying it's it's the community sense of community that really um, definitely was nice to be able to raise the money, but the sense of community was was really um, vital is just as vital.
1: I got I sat down on Kickstarter one day and got to to tooling around in just the gaming section and I before I knew it, I had sponsored three games and I'm like I have got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Yeah>. dangerous <laughs> yeah, it is
2: it's kind of a it can be kind of addictive.
0: it was it was but I have three games coming. So. <laughs> And it's, it's I what one of the things I love about it is that it's independent, you know, like like you said in terms of publishing on your own, you can get that control, and you can see that people really love the products that they're putting up on yeah. it, and right, that's that's right. always heartening for me to be like, okay, this is something I'm going to be supporting because I can see the the love and the effort that went into making it, and that's that's always fantastic. Right. Well, thanks again
1: to Doug Bass, creator of Garden Dice. Again, you can check it out at meridaygames.com or or on Amazon. We'd love to hear from our listeners about what uh, we discussed today with Doug about game design and board gaming. Uh, you can leave feedback with us on our website at GameOnGirl.com. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Rowroom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or you can read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com. Email me, Rhonda, at gameongirl.com.
0: And I'm your host, Regina McMunmy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Doug Bass for coming out to talk to us about Garden Dice and his project and his love and dedication to it and the several years it took him to get it from um, idea to board. So thanks for that. I'd like to give a shout out right now to some friends i have who are putting their own board game together uh rachel who is age 10, and Bruce Richmond are putting together a game called The Potions Game. And they have a page up on Facebook, and just this past weekend, they took the game and had it tested out at DundraCon, which is a board game con local to the San Francisco Bay Area. So I haven't heard from them yet about what kind of feedback they got from the game, but I would love it if you guys who are fans on Facebook or Facebookers, if you could go and, and show some support for The Potions Game. I'll make sure to have a link to their fan page up on the site with this episode. And like their page and check it out. They've got some great pictures of their their pieces that they made. They, they handmade some of the, piece, the pieces for the game. So uh, the little potions bottles are just really fantastic. So uh, the idea for the game came because Rachel was a huge fan of Harry Potter, and she hated all of the Harry Potter games. Like, Her and her dad would try to play them together and they just thought they were awful and so they created their own potions game. So you should make sure to go out and give them some support and let's see what can happen with that for them. So thanks for listening. We appreciate our listeners. Uh, game on Girl is now part of the Radio Foo Bar network on RadioFooBar.com. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media. And the theme song, Good Day, by Triple Fox, is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, Game On!